You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Boy, oh boy, do you hate to see it. Oh, man. There's just, there's this tiny little soft, weak part of me that almost feels bad for Vikings fans. But then I think about all the trash talk, all the nonsense, all the undeserved bravado. And it's just, it just feels good. Beat the Saints, beat the Saints. Best team in the world, beat the Saints, beat the Saints. And really, if we were to recap the season, the Vikings, first of all, are 10-6 and six when they went into the playoff. I think beating the Saints, winning one game, one game in the playoffs, I think is going to end up being the highlight of this entire season. How much, is, how horrible is that? Think about it. If the Packers lose today, they're looking back on a 13-3 and three team. They're looking back on a team that swept the division. 2-0 against the Bears, 2-0 against the Lions, 2-0 against the Vikings. With the first year under Matt LaFleur, this is a, a season that the Packers are going to remember. What, what did Vikings fans look back on 2019-2020 and think, boy, was that a season? What? Dude, you got swept by the Packers and the Bears. Swept by the Bears. Ed did the season 10-6 and and won one playoff game. It was an impressive win, but it's just, it's so sad to see all this buildup, all this work, all this grind from so many players that really put out a lot of work. You know, Dalvin Cook, Diggs and Thielen, those pass rushers. There's some good players on this team. Even Kirk Cousins probably had the best year of his entire career. And what do you have to show for it at the end of it? A 10-6 and six season, one playoff win swept by two division rivals. The only team you beat in the division is the Lions. Congratulations. It's a season for the ages. I'm sure you can figure out a banner to hang. Beat the Saints in the wild card, January 5th, 2020. A year that will be remembered for all time. Here's the thing. There's a lot of talk about what they're going to do with Kirk Cousin. I think the thing that makes the most sense is to extend the guy. The Vikings contract situation in 2020 is a nightmare. They're currently $3 million in the hole. They're negative three and a half million dollars. Kirk Cousins is supposed to make $31 million this year. I think you extend him, and in doing so, you you push a little bit of this money out so that you end up paying Kirk like, I don't know, 23, 4, 5 million, whatever it is. Save yourself a few million. But even then, you, I mean, it's just the amount of money you're paying is crazy. And it's not like anyone's even getting 20, but the amount of guys you have at about $10 million Diggs, 14 and a half. Hunter, 14. Griffin, 14. Riley Reef, 13. Linval Joseph, 13. Xavier Rhodes, that guy's got to go, 13. Adam Thielen, 13. Anthony Barr, 13. Harrison Smith, 11. Eric Hendricks, 10. Kyle Rudolph, 9 and a half. They have done so much work making sure. I mean, this is what the, the Packers used to be do. We got to keep our guys. And they just, they got no money left. And so you had better hope that you make you know, some very wise decisions in this year draft. Because, I mean, you just pretty much got your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. I mean, you got an extra seventh, but that's not going to do you any good. Maybe if you're looking for a long snapper or whatever. I mean, you, you got a handful of people that you can try to make make an impact on this team. Because you got no money, man. You might be losing your offensive coordinator also. We'll see how that goes. 
I know people are making a big deal about, oh, yeah, Stefanski, sure, he's not going to get a job now. Look how bad that was. That's not how that works, man. Nobody is going to decide to hire Stefanski and then decide, never mind, I don't want him because the Vikings offense struggled against the 49ers in the playoffs. I just, that's that's not correct. If that was the standard, Matt LaFleur would not have a job right now. But anyways, Vikings are done for the year. Another year, another not trophy. And then again, the goal for 2020 is to, I mean, every year the goal is to just not let this thing collapse. Because you got everybody's getting older and older. Everybody's getting more and more expensive. And they're just not doing the work to supplement the team with new players. They just want to keep the same guys. That's not going to work forever. And the reason you want to do this every year is that you have a slow, you know, slowly adding and adding and adding so that you don't just have one year of this mass exodus. And that's what they're heading toward if they keep playing this game. Eventually, these guys all hit 35, 34, 33 years old, and they all leave. Or they all just play like garbage at the same time because they're old. And in order to do that, they not only have to draft well, they got to have a little bit of money for free agent. But they don't have any money because they keep paying to keep their, their same guys over and over again. But whatever, that's their problem to figure out. Otherwise, um, well, I'll tell you what. I wanted to get that off my chest first thing, but why don't we uh, do preliminaries in a break, then talk about the Titans, and then get to the more important stuff. Yes, I'm going to talk about the other game. I know this is just supposed to be hype, 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 but, um, you know, it is what it is. I feel like making fun of the Vikings, and I want to talk about the Titans, who might be in the Super Bowl with the Packers. Is that all right? So, make sure you join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Ways to support the podcast, number one, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. And we did cross the 50 uh, patron mark. So now the winner at the end of the month is going to be able to get anything they want out of the Packernet Podcast store. How do you win something? Well, every dollar donated is an entry into the contest. Special thank you to Aaron and Tristan for getting on board and for pushing us over the 50 patron mark. And again, you can enter for as little as a buck a month. And of course, I really do appreciate all the donors and all the support for the show. Otherwise, a five-star iTunes rating and review would help out the show. And as I said yesterday, make sure what you're listening to this show on is called the Packernet Podcast. If it has a different name, that's not my podcast. And although it still shows up on the statistics on my end, so it's fine, iTunes doesn't see that people are listening to my show. They see that you're listening to that show. So iTunes sees my show and goes, yeah, nobody listens to that, which is in fact false. So if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the other show, that would be very greatly appreciated. Sound good? All right. Let's take a break, talk about the Titans, talk about some other stuff, and then uh, get amped up for this Packer game. I've got an idea for you for this spring. Can you guess what it is? How about this year, instead of dropping like ten grand going on a cruise or going to Orlando, you follow your favorite baseball team to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. You get the same great weather. You get much better scenery, unless you like staring at big circular metal roller coasters. Fun, natural outdoor adventures and great food. Now, I'm not dogging Disney. I'm all about it. I'm just saying sometimes you got to think of something better to do. And also, that is expensive, man. You want to know why the real reason I don't have a house right now? Mickey Mouse. That's why. Big dumb rat took all my money, man. So how about this year? We pile the kids in the van and head out to Arizona for spring training. Got a bunch of family-friendly resorts. They got all the swimming pools with the spinny slides, all that stuff, man. Got horseback riding, outdoor games and activities. Wildlife parks, museums, aquariums, dudes' ranches, chick ranches, all the ranches. Think it over, because I know you're trying to think of an escape, and I know all the suggestions terrify you in your bank account. Think it over. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. 
And if you're wanting to look fly like a cheese head, make sure you check out MacWeldon.com. The most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you're ever going to wear. If you're looking for comfort and an easy shopping experience, Mac Weldon takes care of both. As I've said now a thousand times, Mac Weldon isn't just a clothing line, it's an experience. I've got a bunch of clothes in my closet. I can reach in my closet, feel around, and go, oop, there's the Mac Weldon. It's just a different experience, man. And remember, they've got the line of silver underwear and shirts that naturally help eliminate odor. And not only do they look good, the underwear, socks, shirts, they perform well too. Great for working out, going to work, going out on a date, everyday life, hanging out, watching a game. And because you're listening to this podcast, Mac Weldon has got a great offer for you. They're going to take 20% off your first order when you visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code OVERTIME. Again, 20% off your first order. Just enter promo code OVERTIME when you visit MacWeldon.com. And because they want you to be comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you get to keep it and they'll still refund you no questions asked. MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. So quickly, I want to talk about the Titans. And if you've been listening for a while, you, you, you don't fall into this category. But there's a big theme right now on Twitter and elsewhere where we're going to pretend that the Titans kind of caught us by guard, off guard. If you recall, I've been warning you about the Titans since before the postseason began. I said that they were probably the only team that has a shot at beating the Ravens. I said that this is a team that next year is a legit threat throughout the year, that people next year aren't going to be taking them for granted. And, and, and really, this isn't because I'm omniscient for all the anti-PFF folks. I, the reason I get stuff like this correct ahead of the, the, the crowd and everybody else is, is largely because of pro football focus. I mean, it, it's other things as well, but when you look at something... And I, listen, I've been saying, again, largely because of PFF, that the Titans actually have a pretty good team. They don't have super elite players, but they have no weaknesses ever, anywhere. If you look at the layout of their team, it's just a sea of green. Not, not bright blue, no elite, maybe Jarrell Casey... But it's just, it's just green everywhere. No teams have that. It's just a, a nice, even distribution of solid, good players everywhere. Suddenly, Ryan Tannehill is the number one quarterback in football, according to PFF, which I've been telling you now for a couple weeks. And you have to step back and go, dude, this is, if, I mean, this is scary. And so I, I saw a tweet early this morning that the Titans are giving people a, you know, 2008 Giants feel. I No, not really. And again, listen, I, I basically wrote the book on this. If we want to talk about past year comps, I have the Titans comp and I have the 2013 Ravens. Now, granted, very similar feel, right? A team that nobody expected that kind of came out of nowhere. But even that isn't a great comp because, again, we're talking about the number one quarterback in football. The 2008 Giants, Eli Manning, was one of the worst quarterbacks in all of football. If you look at the 2012 Giants, the biggest difference is they had one of the worst defenses in all of football. The Titans have the number one quarterback and a, a the 12th overall defense in terms of points again. I think the Ravens make much more sense because it's it's very similar. They have the 10th, they are, their offense is 10th in points, the Titans offense 10th in points. Defense 12th in points, Titans defense 12th in points. Now Flacco wasn't quite as good, but also remember the, the one of the biggest things that the Ravens had is that their defense really stepped up in the postseason. They were already fine, again 12th in points, but they're not playing like the 12th best defense, they're playing like a top 5 defense. I think the Titans are doing something very similar. They're playing really, really, really good defense, and the offense is clipping along. And by the way, Joe Flacco in the postseason played really well, especially those last two games. And in the Super Bowl, he just played out of his mind. So yeah, if there's a comp, it's going to be the 2013 Ravens. Just so we're clear. But again, this this shouldn't have caught us by surprise. It didn't necessarily catch me by surprise, although I never expected them to actually win 
I kind of thought that they would be eliminated and then come back strong next year and everybody would be like, whoa, where did the Titans come from? But, I mean, this this is a team that is built to win in the playoffs. The biggest surprise is that they look like they've been here before. But, you know, they're they're great quarterback, solid defense, and good off. I mean, it's just what what is surprising about this. I think the biggest thing is nobody thinks anything highly of the Titans, right? This is a team that very rarely makes it to the playoffs. When they do, they're a wild card team and get knocked off right away. Beyond that, they got Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback, and people just can't forget how bad he was for how long. And they're looking at this game thinking this is a really good offense and a really good defense and the number one quarterback against the Titans. No, 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 no. It's a really good offense, really good defense, and number one quarterback against the Ravens. And as far as the Ravens, look, you can you can measure the teams up and say the Ravens are the better team, but I, I think the biggest thing with the Ravens, and this is why I said the Titans are probably the best team to go up against them, and why I said they need a solid defense to beat the Ravens, is because the Ravens are like a lot of other teams that are just unstoppable. When you're unstoppable, the biggest problem you have is you don't know how to overcome adversity. This is the problem that the Packers have had for a long time. This is the problem that teams like the Chiefs have. When you punch them right in the mouth, and when they start staggering and they don't, they, they can't get into that rhythm, they're done. It's over. And we saw that with the Ravens. The stuff that we do that's just so easy for us, we're not able to do it anymore, and I don't know what to do about that. And so the Titans did a great job of just coming out full force and just smacking them in the mouth with a sledgehammer, and they were never able to recover. So props to the Titans. And I also don't want to overinflate the Titans. The, 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 it's not like the Titans must be the best team in the world because the Ravens are unstoppable and the Titans stopped them. The Titans just did what they needed to do. They flustered the offense and they just derailed the train early. I would rather play the Titans than the Ravens. Titans are very good. I'm very worried about the Titans. I would rather play the Titans than the Ravens because I don't really necessarily, I mean, the, the Packers defense maybe could do that, but I don't want to have to worry about that. I would rather go toe-to-toe with a team that just wants to get into a slugfest. Our defensive line versus your offensive line. Your defensive line versus our offensive line. Derrick Henry versus Aaron Jones. By the way, um, our head coach used to be the offensive coordinator for the Titans, so he might know a couple things about that team. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just... That was the best-case scenario. The, the Titans playing the Ravens was the best-case scenario because the Titans, I think, are the only team that were going to knock off the Ravens, and they did. And so we've now had the Vikings knock off the Saints for us. We had the Eagles knock, or the Seahawks knock off the Eagles for us, and the Titans have knocked off the Ravens for us. They also knocked out the Patriots. So there's a lot of teams that we don't want to face. The only team that's left, unfortunately, we got to play this team. The, the number one team I don't want to play anymore is the 49ers. The thing that scares me is how many different weapons they have in the matchups. Right, if it was just a bunch of, if it, if it was the Vikings with like two really good wide receivers, I'm, I feel okay about our corners matching up. But it's when you got the fullback and the tight end and the wide receiver and the running back and all these different things, it just gets to be kind of tricky. But we got today to worry about anyways first. By the way, since I forgot to mention this yesterday, my comp for the Ravens coming into this season was the 1990 49ers. Very, very, very dominant team. The 1990 49ers were number one in points and yards on offense and were third and fourth in points and yards on defense. Almost identical to the Ravens, except the Ravens were second in yards on offense, but otherwise very, very similar. Also, um, Lamar Jackson was graded as the fifth best quarterback, well, fourth best, fifth best passer. PFF doesn't go back to 1990, but I have to assume that uh, Joe Montana was at least top five. So there's your comp for that. And since we're on it, I already mentioned the Texans are the 2008 Giants. The Chiefs, however, I have the 1999 Broncos. The 99 Broncos did have a better offense, but we're talking about a top ten, a top five offense and a top five or top ten defense. They were eighth on defense in terms of points. The Chiefs were our seventh. So the 1999 Broncos were maybe a hair better, 
but uh, very similar. And again, the biggest question for me in this game is going to be the defenses. Right, the Texans coming into this don't have the greatest defense in the world, but they've also been without J.J. Watt, and they have a lot of talent. Because right now, the, the, the way that I'm looking at this, at this is two offensive teams. And I know the Titans are 10th on offense, so they're not seen as quite as good as the Chiefs, but we know that they have the ability to air it out. And the Chiefs do too, but the the point of this game is going to be which defense has the ability to step up and look competent and look like a playoff defense. Because again, the Chiefs and the Texans are already done until they can prove that they have a defense that can that can hang with these other playoff teams. And unless and until they can show that, I don't think that they have much of a chance. Because the, the Titans are just going to step up and do the exact same thing they did to the Ravens. If all you're going to do is air it out down the field, the Titans are just going to take that away from you. And your defense can't stop the Titans, and you're already it's already over. So which team is going to step up with some defense? And if neither team does, and it ends up being a 45-39 to 39 game, I mean, that's that, the media is going to go nuts and say, oh, wow, you know, the Chiefs won 45-39. to 39. This offense is unstoppable. That's the wrong take. Now, if they win 45-7, to 7, that's a different story. But that's the biggest thing that I'm going to want to look for. What abilities do you have on defense? And again, the Chiefs have actually stepped up in a pretty big way, uh, defensively speaking. I wouldn't say they're a good defense. But when you're ranked 7th in points, you're at least doing something right. Again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've allowed almost no points since you're by and have played a bunch of garbage offenses. The Raiders, the Patriots, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Chargers. Not one of those is a dominant offense. In fact, going all the way back, I don't even know who would have a really good offense. Chargers again, no. Titans, not really. Vikings, not really. Packers, eh. And by the way, Titans 35, Vikings 23, Packers 31. Teams have put up some points against this defense. Texans are a good offense. They put up 31. Ravens put up 28. So pretty much anybody that you could consider a decent enough offense did put up pretty good points. So I'm not really ready to crown them as a top 10 defense. I just think that they have not gone up against very good offenses. But anyways, that's what I'll be checking out. All right, let's get to what matters now, the Green Bay Packers, shall we? Been having some technical difficulties here. I don't know what's going on with my, my sound equipment. Going a little haywire. So weird. Talk to my producer, see if we can't figure that out. But as far as injury news, there really isn't too much to elaborate on than what I've been saying the last few days. The biggest thing is going to be their offensive line. If Eddie is doubtful, but they have two tackles that are game-time decisions. Dwayne Brown, if I had to guess, I would say Dwayne Brown is going to play, which is not great because he is actually a pretty good offensive tackle. Um, The odds are pretty low that neither of the two tackles plays, but we'll see. And again, if neither of them plays... They, that's just nightmare scenario for the Seahawks. But I, I think in the in the larger scope, the starting point, as we talked about, first of all, 24 points is the benchmark. But really, again, this is the Packers defense against the Seahawks offense, which, I, in my opinion, works to the Packers' favor. Now, the thing is, though, this isn't a foregone conclusion. We don't know what kind of offense and defense the Seahawks are bringing into Green Bay. We don't know what kind of offense and defense the Packers are going to put on display for us. All I can talk to is the history, which says that this is a Packers defense against the Seahawks offense. If that is the case, I think that works in the Packers' favor because playoff time defense wins championships. You may remember the Packers having a hard time beating the Seahawks in the playoffs all those years where it was Packers offense for Seahawks defense. The thing is, though, the Packers need to make sure that that is the narrative. The Packers have not allowed a team to score more than 20 points since the San Francisco 49ers. Since December began... The point totals have been 13, 15, 13, 10, and 20. Yeah, not the greatest offenses in the world, but the 10 did include the Minnesota Vikings. That is going to be the storyline. Now, the, 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 the point is, though, that's the starting point because if the defense can hold them, 
that's where the offense needs to step up and be able to attack the Seattle's defense, which is really struggling. We're talking about a team that is 22nd in points, 26th in yards. This isn't just a, a defense that's struggling. It's a defense that is really, really, really struggling. Would you like to know their last couple games? By the way, this, the Philadelphia Eagles, 9 points. Which, if you remember, I said they 100%, based on all the benchmarks, should have lost that game. If Carson Wentz wasn't in there, they're done. Rushing for 64 yards is just the death of this team. The only reason they won is because their defense, which isn't very good, was able to hold the Eagles team without a quarterback to nine points. Prior to that game, however, the 49ers put up 26, the Cardinals 27, the Panthers 24, the Rams 28, and the Vikings 30. Hilariously, before that was also the Eagles 17 to 9. Before that, 24, 34, 20, 30, 28, 29, 10, 33, 26, 20. With the exception of a couple games, mid-20s to 30 points is the standard for what this defense has done. 28th in yards per attempt, 4.9 yard average. The only teams that are worse are the Browns, Jaguars, and Panthers. And for the record, the Packers ran for 163 yards against the Carolina Panthers. Aaron Jones was 13 for 93 and three touchdowns. Jamal Williams, 13 carries, 63 yards. They have to be able to execute, take what it is that they're giving you. Because as it's laid out, the Packers win. The Packers can dominate on the ground. The Packers should be able to throw against a team that is 27th in yards, 24th in net yards per attempt. The only teams that are are worse that the Packers have played are the Giants and the Lions. Three of Aaron Rodgers' six highest passing yard games came against the Giants and the Lions. 243 against the Giants, 277 against the Lions, and then Week 17 against the Lions, 312 yards. So everything is lined up where it needs to be. The defense is the one that really needs to step up and hold this offense down. If they can do that and continue doing what they've been doing, which is holding offenses to 20 points or less, the offense should be able to take advantage of what's in front of them. That's that's the, the big picture plan as it should be laid out. Again, though, the problem comes in when this doesn't exactly pan out like we hope it will. And, and considering this is the Packers and the Seahawks, two teams that generally kind of look worse than they are, play really tight games and then find a way to win, you would expect things to be a little bit sloppy, a little bit ugly, and then one of these teams comes out on top. Here's some other stuff to, to pay attention to. And again, this is looking at history and saying we need to be able to do the things we've been doing. If we don't meet these benchmarks, that's when things become problematic. The first quarter, in the first quarter, the Green Bay Packers are third in points. When at home, they're second only behind the Detroit Lions. On average, the Green Bay Packers score roughly eight points in the first quarter at home. Seattle in the first quarter, while away, is scoring on average about five points. So if the score is about seven to three after the first quarter, all is well. The problem comes in when we're talking about the second quarter. And I don't know why these things are the way that they are, but they are. The Packers start off hot and then fall off. In the second quarter, Seattle is usually putting up an average of around eight points while they're away. Green Bay is usually putting up about five. However... Here's the, here's the part that's kind of awesome. When they're away, 2.8 points. When they're at home, 7.6. So they're not even that bad when they're at home. But again, you got to be able to do it. So about 8 points in the first quarter, 7 points in the second when they're at home. Packers should be winning by halftime. And again, the only reason I'm going through this is these are the benchmarks. These are the reasons I believe the Packers win. And if, I don't, if we don't see these things happening, if their offense cuts through our defense like it's nothing, and if our offense can't execute against this defense that's really quite bad at this point, it's not to say that we're going to lose, but it's one of those things where it's, this is not how it's supposed to be laid out. They're, they're essentially coming from behind. Whether or not the score is actually coming from behind, 
the Packers are operating from behind. Third quarter, um, the Green Bay Packers averaging about seven points while at home. So pretty consistent, 8-7-7. Seahawks, while away, 5.7 points. They are not a, they, they are a very good second quarter team, but much better at home than they are away. They're at about 5.7 in the third quarter. The fourth quarter, though, is when things get really ugly because the Green Bay Packers are the third worst fourth quarter team when at home. When they're on the road, 7.6 points on average away. 2.9 points on average at home in the fourth quarter. That's that's not very good. The good news, Seattle isn't very good in the fourth quarter either, which is weird because we're talking about two teams that find ways to win in the end. Seattle, 4.9 points. So again, everything just kind of lines up. Seattle at home, o- over 10 points in the fourth quarter. So when they're at home, they dominate the fourth quarter. They come back and just tear it up, but they're not. They're on the road. And so again, it's one of those things where everywhere that the Packers struggle, the Seahawks struggle more. So it's a fairly good matchup. And I can't really look at overtime because although Seattle does have something, the Green Bay Packers have not been in overtime. So I can't really point to that to say how good or bad things are going to be or how things kind of stack up. But let's also remember that the biggest thing, as much as we're all afraid of Russ and we should be, and we're all afraid of DK and, and Tyler Lockett, and we should be, that's fair because they're incredibly good football players. Let's not forget this team wins and loses based on their ability to to run the ball. With only a couple exceptions, you can see a direct correlation with running the ball and winning the game. Right? They ran for 72 yards week one against the Bengals and still won the game. Probably because it's the Bengals. But if you, for example, just look kind of down the stretch here. right? They So just kind of picking a random spot here. 167 yards, they won. 170 yards, they won. 106, they lost. 150, they won. 145, they won. 147, they won. 174, they won. 218, they won. 106, they lost. 154, they won. One or excuse me, 91 they lost, 125 they lost, and then this last one, 64, which again, a complete random anomaly, they won. But I, I think, again, you put Carson Wentz back in, they lose this game. And the, the benchmark number is 125. Keep the Seahawks below 125 yards, which should not be that hard. This is not a very good blocking offensive line, and these are not super dynamic electrifying runners. Just don't let them dominate you on the ground. Control the ground force them to be one-dimensional, attack Russell Wilson, right? I mean, this, this is fundamentally what the, the Titans were trying to do. This is what a lot of teams are trying to do. If you can control the run game, you're much more likely to get them into third and long. You get them into third and longs, you can attack the quarterback. All it takes is one run for two yards, second and eight, and then either stop the run again or force an incompletion. Because at, at that point, if he's completing 60% of his passes, you know, a little over 50%, and they're running on first down most of the time, that's a lot of third and long situations. Think about it. So the, the first time he comes out, they run, they only get a couple yards, and then he gets a completed pass for seven yards. Okay, so now it's a third and short. The next time, runs for two yards at second and eight. Pretty good likelihood that this is going to be an incomplete pass, right? I mean, statistically, you understand what I'm saying. Between two passes, one of them very likely is going to be incomplete. And even if it's not, there's going to be a third try. Between The odds of him getting three of those are slightly less than him missing one of those, meaning if you can control the run on first down, you're going to get at least one third and long on this drive, and by this point, they're probably not even to the 50-yard line. Control the ground, put them into third and long situations, attack Russell Wilson. You're going to force more incompletions, you're going to put more pressure on them, you're going to get more sacks, which is going to lead to more punts, it's going to lead to more errant throws, possible interceptions. Control the ground. Control the line of scrimmage. We're all scared of Russell Wilson and what they can do through the air. That's fine. 
But if they're able to run the ball, there's not much we're going to be able to do to stop this team. If he's operating from a bunch of second and fours, third and ones, we can't do anything. You're not going to stop them if they're in third and two every single time. And I understand Russell Wilson is very good at throwing the ball deep, but that doesn't mean the completion percentages don't drop. We're talking 42% on deep passes. He's at 60% on intermediate passes. 76% on short passes. Which would you prefer? I'll take the 40%, please. The further we can get him away from the sticks, the better it is. It's kind of just common sense. Not to mention his rushing abilities. His ability to gain 3 yards with his legs is a lot higher than it is to gain 9 or 10 yards. Which, by the way, when he's running off tackle, he's averaging about 8 yards a carry. So let's keep him far enough away that they're not even going to try that. Unless it just breaks down and he's going to try to scramble. Which, again, the further away he is, the less likely it is he's going to get there before somebody comes crashing down and smokes him. And that's the real benefit of this. The the Seattle Seahawks don't actually have a lot going for them. They don't have running back. They don't have a very good defense. They don't even have that good of a pass rush. I know Jadavian Clowney's kind of a scary guy, but he's maybe a second-tier pass rusher. When you look at his statistics, they're kind of second-tier. And they got just the one, which really is going to hurt their ability to provide pressure overall as a team. This is just about taking away those couple things they do really well dominating in the areas that they struggle so that you make them one-dimensional and you can take away that thing that they do well. If the only thing he's going to be able to do is drop back and try to complete third and eights, or or we turn it into what the Packers look like against the Lions, where every throw looks like a 40-yard pass because that's the one chance that they have to try to use Russell's arm and DK's speed and size to just get some big chunk plays and crack this thing open, and hopefully to get the Packers to back off so they can try to run for a few yards. If that's the strategy that they're reduced to, That's a win for the Packers. Anyways, let's take a quick break, and then just for fun, I want to do some uh, predictions, because I haven't really done that, I don't think, at all this year. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. All right, so let's have some fun and do a few predictions, shall we? First of all, as far as running the ball, ever since Chris Carson has been gone, the Seahawks have not been able to hit that 150 mark. They did manage 125 against the 49ers, which is a pretty solid defense, but I'm going to say the Packers keep the Seahawks to under 100 yards rushing. Now, that's kind of saying a lot because the Packers have struggled against the run. Again, the Seahawks just crossed the 100 mark against the 49ers a couple weeks ago, and Kenny Clark is a little banged up. But I do think this is going to be a major focus for the defense. I think they're going to be energized. I think they're going to be amped up. And here's the thing. Let me remind you if you're going to this game, you have to be as loud and obnoxious as you've ever been in your entire life. Here's the other thing that I want to remind people. Having gone to the game, one of the things I noticed when I went to the Lions game is that when it was third down, they hurried up to the line of scrimmage. Why? Because for whatever reason, it takes fans, I don't know if this is a Green Bay thing or just a fan thing in general, a long time to get revved up. So after a second down play, it'll be second and ten, they'll get stuffed and now it's third and ten. After the play, everyone sits down and they're quiet. So then the the Lions rush to the line and get a playoff and it's dead quiet in the whole, whole stadium. Because... The fans didn't have their 30 seconds of rev-up time. There's no rev-up time. As soon as the second down play is over, if they don't get a first down, you're screaming. You're on your feet. The second that play is over, you're on your feet making as much noise as you can. You don't sit there and wait for them to break the huddle. 
They did that all game, and it took forever for people to get the noise level up. And so some of the quietest plays that the, that the Lions faced were on third down. If you're going to the game, remember me. Remember this. As soon as the second down play is over, you're on your feet, you're making noise. But I think it's, it's going to be a very, very loud environment. I think it needs to be a loud environment, and you need to recognize that. I think Seattle is going to do the same thing. They're going to try to hurry up, especially on third down. Do not let them, in a playoff game, get off third down plays with no noise. That is wildly unacceptable. I know it's going to be uncomfortable because everyone else is going to be sitting on their hands, like, well, we were just standing. We've got time. What are you screaming for? They're still in the huddle. Dude, they're going to break the huddle and snap the ball in five seconds, and you're still going to be sitting there. I'm telling you. All right, here's my next prediction. The Seattle Seahawks have not turned the ball over in their last two games. Not one turnover against the Eagles, not one against the 49ers. However, prior to that, they had seven games in a row with at least one turnover. They had 12 turnovers in those seven games. In fact, for the entire season, they've only had two other games without a turnover. They've turned the ball over a decent amount. The last two times that the Packers and the Seahawks have played uh, against each other, Russell Wilson has not thrown a single interception. However, the game before that, Russell Wilson threw five interceptions. Five. I'm not predicting five. But I do think Seattle turns the ball over. And in fact, it's much more likely that it happens in regard to a fumble loss, which happened last time the Packers played. Chris Carson fumbled and lost the ball. But I am going to go and say Russell Wilson throws a pick in this game. We'll call it a turnover, which likely is a fumble. But I'm saying Russell Wilson throws a pick. Lastly, on defense, uh, Russell Wilson was not sacked once last week. Despite the Eagles' defensive front, despite the Seahawks' lack of talent up front, Not one single sack. Interestingly enough, the only offensive lineman with a good grade was Jermaine Effetti. It was his best game of the entire year, and I wouldn't necessarily expect him to be able to duplicate that. Just the week before, Effetti gave up one sack, two hits, and and one hurry in one game. So the odds of him getting zero sacks, hits, or hurries in a game for the second week in a row, pretty unlikely. And again, not a single solitary other offensive lineman had a good grade in that entire game. The only ones that did were their fullback, a tight end, and Marshawn Lynch. So I don't know how they did it against the Seahawks. But I think they're going up against a different animal this this week. The Packers right now are averaging about two and a half sacks a game. I'll go on the low end of that and say the Packers get two sacks. Offensively, I'm going to say Aaron Jones crosses the 100-yard mark. It seems like it's not that big of a, a hot take, but really he's only done that, let's see, five times this year. Detroit, Dallas, uh, Minnesota twice, and Washington. And then passing, I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers hits the 250-yard mark, something he's only done uh, also five times this year. Detroit, Kansas City, Detroit, Philly, and Oakland. Touchdowns are kind of hard to say because I'm predicting a decent amount of yards for Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. But if I had to guess, I'm going to say Aaron Jones gets it on the ground. Final score in this game, I'm going to say the Packers win 27-24. And as for my one hot take, it's not a super hot take, but here's what it's going to be. A rookie is going to have a big splash play in this game. That could be either a Jace touchdown, a Rashawn sack, a Savage pick, Kiki sack. Who knows, maybe Dexter comes in for a play and gets a touchdown. I don't know. But that's my prediction for this game, my my hot take prediction. So anyways, I'm going to throw this up in the Facebook group right now. Make sure you jump in there give me your general statistical predictions, score prediction, and hot take prediction. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day, and hopefully tomorrow we'll be talking about Victory Monday and on to the 49ers. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.